Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Good afternoon and welcome to GCSE Revision Pod with myself, Mr. Galley. And me, Mr. Forster. I hope you're all getting on okay. A lot of you will be doing your mock exams at the moment. I'm sure if you're listening to this around the time we published it, we hope we wish you all the best of luck and hope that they're going okay. Today, as ever, we're going to be looking at a GCSE-style question. Before we get into that, I'd like you to remind you of our email address, which is englishrevisionpod at gmail.com. And what kind of things would we like them to uh, get in touch If you've got any specific questions you'd like us to answer, or you've got any texts that we haven't covered yet that you'd be interested in us looking at, Mm. um, do send us an email. Or even if you had a question about an existing pod, if it's one of the pods we've already put out, but you feel we uh, perhaps didn't cover something enough or there was some um, something you didn't completely understand then let us know we'll be very happy uh, to get back to you but um, no abuse please because we're, uh, we're very sensitive and we don't like that kind of thing all right sir so today we're going to get into our third Jekyll and Hyde podcast is that right yes so we're looking at an extract which you can find in the bio along with a handout which contains key vocabulary absolutely if you've um, uh, sorry so if you've not done that yet then now would be a great time to pause this podcast go to the bio of it click on the link and you can then download both the question and the notes that we're going to be working with very good and just a reminder the notes do cover all the assessment objectives so it should be a really useful resource Mm. so um, we're looking at an extract today taken from chapter 2 of Strange Case of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde published in 1886 it's the very beginning of chapter 2 when returning home after after learning from his um, from his friend about just what Hyde really is like he looks again at um, the will that he's been asked to draw up for Dr Jekyll. Now this is a very interesting part of the novella for me because up until this point we learned that Utterson had just been bothered by the fact that his friend Jekyll had had this really strange clause in his will and we'll get into this in more detail when we look at the extract but up until this point what bothered Jekyll was just that there was something odd about his friend's will there was something about it that he didn't really like but then Things take a turn for the worse when he finds out that not only is there a clause in the world that he doesn't like, but it relates to this horrible man, Mr. Hyde. I mean, what had he heard about Mr. Hyde just before this moment in time? So so he'd heard from... He'd heard that actually... Um, Hyde had run over a little girl like some damned juggernaut. So he'd mm. been this heartless, cruel figure. Um, and the idea that Dr. Jekyll's possessions would be all left to such an evil man really disturbs Utterson. So the, the question we're looking at is, mm. starting with this extract, how does Stevenson present Mr. Utterson as a rational and reliable narrator? Now, it's a tricky question in some ways, I would say, but actually there's an awful lot that you can say about it. What it's essentially asking you, I suppose, is how much can we trust Mr. Utterson's character? As the reader, how much can we trust him as a narrator, so the person to tell us the story, and all much, and also 
how much can we trust the image that he creates yeah. for himself? I think it's a very challenging... I think Mr. Utterson is one of the more challenging questions you could be asked in Jekyll and Hyde. Most questions centre on duality or mm. evil or Jekyll or Hyde. And actually, this is one of the questions where it's a little bit... You might not have thought about it. So yeah. it's a bit like one of our previous episodes on Mercutio in mm. Romeo and Juliet. We want you to think about it now in case it comes up. It's the kind of question that could catch you out if you hadn't prepared well enough. So Utterson as a character is an interesting one. I mean, he's he's sort of he's he's part of this group of people, but he's very much not the cool one, is he? He's kind of, he's kind of the square of the group. He's the he's the one who doesn't get involved in the parties so much. He's the one who sort of all of his mates are cooler than him, which I think is why you've always had a particular affinity. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so. like you're describing me. Yeah, well, um. <laughs> but there we go. And I mean, getting into the. Um, Getting into the extract then. So this is the part when he's come home, he's found all this stuff out about Hyde, and the question's asking how much we can trust Utterson as a narrator. Now I'm thinking a good topic sentence for this point would be actually at this point in this part of the novella, he does come across as a very trustworthy man and kind of quite different to a lot of the other characters we've met. Yeah, I think... uh... I think one uh, we might want to start by looking at earlier at what he says he would be doing on a Sunday. He says, It was his custom of a Sunday, when his meal was over, to sit close by the fire, a volume of some dried divinity on his reading desk, until the clock of the neighbouring church rang out the hour of twelve, when he would soberly and gratefully go to bed. Now, I think there's... Um, the first thing that's jumping out at me about that is there's two references to religion well the three really if you count sunday in that extract how would you put that into your essay yeah i think uh, the, the idea that it's his habit on a sunday to read some dry divinity sets up him as this moral character a character who, who wants to read about religion who wants to be who, who has it as part of his routine mm. uh, and this clearly is very different from the image we've just seen of the monstrous Hyde yeah. running over a little ju- girl and also the Hyde who let's remember in chapter one was associated with with juggernaut Jagannath, this figure from from Indian religion from uh, which which to Victorian readers would have seemed mm. alien and foreign frightening it's almost as if then we return to what the Victorians might have seen as the safety of Christianity at this moment. You know, we've had all of this wild stuff going on and then Utterson comes back for this very quiet Sunday where he's happy to read about religion. Go on. Yeah, we see this even in the adverbs he's described. He doesn't just go to bed like a normal person. He goes soberly and gratefully. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, he's not... He's almost happy to... Just for the luxury of going to bed. And and the connotations of soberly, again, set him up as this, this foil, this counterpoint to someone like... As we learn later, Jekyll, who's yeah. driven, you know, Hyde, who's driven by his impulses, animalistic in- impulses, because soberly implies a rejection of alcohol, of drugs, of anything that would that would influence him in a negative way. Absolutely. And gratefully as well, I think, is fascinating. And Enfield as well is another character who he's contrasting with, because Enfield, we, he's a minor character, but again, he represents that sort of man about town, that person who, you know, he only sees Hyde in the first place because he's coming home in Very the early hours night, of yes. the morning. Yeah, And this is not something Utterson would be involved in, even though he's, he's friends with He sat at home reading people. a book at midnight. Exactly, much, much, much like more me. fun. Absolutely. Um, however, at this point, a crucial thing to mention about this extract is that this Sunday is different. He says, on this night, however, as soon as the cloth was taken away, he took up a candle and went to his business room. Mm. So it... it Stevenson sets up this juxtaposition between his normal routine defined by religion, defined by his sober and grateful nature yes. with what's happened. So this shows the effect, the impact um, that actually his encounter, his learning about Hyde has had on his rational 
nature. Right. And we see this in the metaphor here that he, he sat down with a clouded brow. Mm-hmm. So this metaphor implies somehow that, um, that, that his normal, rational and reliable persona has been somehow overshadowed by the ominous nature Good. of Hyde. And all of this is building towards the point that, in terms of the question... He does seem rational and reliable because up until this point, we've seen horrible stuff happening in this novella and now we're seeing a man who's clearly troubled by Precisely. all this horrible stuff that's going on. So I think at this point we're thinking, absolutely, yes, all of the quotes so far build a picture of someone who is indeed a reliable narrator, yeah? Definitely. And I think likewise, when he talks about Jekyll's will being an eyesore, it's another metaphor that is that, that seems to set him up as this rational and reliable man. For him... The fact it seems illogical that a man as as good as Dr. Jekyll would leave his money to a man like Hyde. This is an eyesore to mm. Utterson, showing how it, for him it causes almost physical pain. Yeah, and I think we should, because some students might not be completely um, aware of the term eyesore. Normally used for something that, in a sort of beautiful view, the eyesore it's been is ruined. The, it's been ruined by this one thing. You know, if you. Um, if you go to Hyde Park in the centre of London, there's you can't see any buildings all the way around. Apart from in this one direction, there's this really tall skyscraper. It's really ugly. And if it weren't for that, you could almost convince yourself that you're in the middle of the countryside and therefore you'd describe that building as an eyesore. So the metaphorical idea of this clause in the will as an eyesore implies that otherwise in Jekyll's uh, beautiful and morally upright life, yeah. this association with Hyde is something that's tarnished that beautiful yeah. image. And what's important structurally is that before he didn't know who this Hyde was it just annoyed him that there was this clause in the will that Jekyll was leaving himself stuff to someone he didn't know in this slightly weird way but now even worse he finds out that that person is Hyde and we, we see this there's an, another extended metaphor we want to analyze before we move on to the rest of the essay which is mm. how he talks about how this knowledge means that Hyde is clothed upon with detestable attributes and out of the shifting insubstantial mist that had so long baffled his eye there leapt up the sudden and definite presentment of a fiend. So we're thinking, right, this guy, I mean, we'll unpick the language of that in a second, but we're thinking this guy knows what he's talking about. He's realised Hyde is obviously a terrible character and Utterson is in no doubt that he is a terrible character. Yeah, and so this builds upon the previous point about the eyesore. It's another metaphor implying that um, within this otherwise uh, admirable life of Jekyll, you know, they're leaps. You look at that verb. The, mm. the, this violent. In, there's this violent intrusion of a devil-like figure. Yes. And for someone who's been associated previously with religion, with his dry divinity books, with his sober and grateful nature, reading on a Sunday, this clearly seems something that is wrong. You could even say that a, a demonic, devil-like figure is invading the otherwise Christian sanctity of his Sunday. Fair. Precisely. Or? Very good. No, thank you. There is perhaps one (laughs) (laughs) counter-argument. Sorry, to patronise you, sir. There is, however, one perhaps counter-argument we could see in this paragraph that we're going to come on to later in the essay. But that is the final word of this passage. He says, I thought it was madness, Mm -hmm. and now I begin to fear it is disgrace. This is perhaps the one hint where we might want to finish this paragraph with some evaluation that actually, whilst he seems rational and reliable, there is... There is a moment here that seems to foreshadow his later concern with reputation. Right. Because he doesn't say, I fear it is evil. He says, I begin Mm. to fear it is disgrace. So what this seems to set up is that this otherwise rational, reliable man does care perhaps most about his friend's reputation. Mm, And that is crucial for what we'll come into later on. Now, as it comes to moving into the rest of the novella, I think for your next paragraph, what you want to move on to perhaps quite briefly is... 
other moments in the novella where it does seem indeed like we can trust Addison. So I'm thinking topic sentence, moving on to the rest of the novella, there are other moments where Addison presents himself as a reliable narrator or something of that nature to take you forward, right? Now, a bit I'm thinking of is when he... Uh, when he decides that he's going to hunt down Mr Hyde and he says that line which is kind of a sort of quite a quite a sort of simplistic joke I suppose where he if he says well yeah a pun if he be Mr Hyde I shall be Mr Seek and now there's almost this kind of celebration of like a kind of it's quite childish in a way you know he's seeing it as a game he's quite excited about tracking down Mr Hyde and again I suppose you kind of think okay this is a good this is a good person. This is yeah. a man in whom we can invest our trust. Yeah, and 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 one of the key words that we've put on our sheet today um, is nominative determinism. And right. Actually, we could see an element of that here. The idea that actually Hyde being defined by the necessity for evil to lurk in the darkest corners of London. That's why and it's called Hyde. That's why it's called Hyde. Mm. Whereas, whereas Utterson actually, by defining himself as Mr. Seek, um, through nominative determinism, he is suggesting that he is defined by his purpose to find out this evil, to expose it. Yeah, and to to take that um, a bit further, we could even say that his name, Utterson, I mean, to utter something is to talk quietly, to not shout, and you know, it all suggests this kind of reserved, balanced character, I think, at this Precisely. point. Precisely. There's also this bit where he's shown to be the sort of good to Hyde's evil, right? So when he eventually tracks down Mr. Hyde... In chapter two. In chapter two, you've got this kind of stuff where, you know, Hyde is hissing. He the, His face is described as bearing Satan's signature. I think we talked about this on our, our first Jekyll and Hyde podcast. Um, but Utterson, by way of contrast, wants to see his face. All of these things that yeah, Hyde in the he darkness... Says, will you let me see your face? Yes. There's this desire to see the truth, to kind of recognise Hyde for what he is. And a bit of AO3 here, obviously. Mm. According to the Victorian theory of physiology, popularised by Cesare Lombroso mm-hmm. actually uh, Victorians believed that your face revealed your true character so in this desire to see his face we're seeing a rational response a desire to not only recognise the man but also mm. recognise his true character Fantastic so what I'm thinking of then really is that the first two thirds of our essay we've explored how yes absolutely Utterson is someone we can trust Utterson is someone who we can um, follow through the narrative without worrying about his personal um, whether whether he's the right person to tell us these things basically but what I would advise our students to do is going into the final third of your essay and this is the kind of stretch and challenge point really this is when it gets a bit more difficult if you look deeper at Addison's character you perhaps see that very subtly really hidden within the text are perhaps some reasons why maybe we might not trust him as much as all that. What do you think, sir? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one we picked up upon at the end of that first paragraph, that actually there are hints that he's perhaps not as different from Jekyll as he would like to think. Right. Fantastic. Let's get into that then. So we could argue that at times Addison is not an entirely reliable narrator and that Stevenson is showing him to be secretive or even having desires that he represses to be immoral. Mm. So at the outset, he's described as being dreary and dull, but it's implied isn't it, that that's not the real Utterson. Yeah, because people like having him around, don't they? Even though he's described as being boring, all of these men who sort of enjoy drinking and partying and, you know, the, the more indulgent side of life they love having Utterson around a bit like one of my friends hang out with me exactly you know you've got to have one boring one in the group it makes, you look, the, makes you look better that's the thing isn't it yeah we're, at least we're not that guy at least they we're might, not they him, might yeah. be thinking yes and that's I mean that 
is really where we're going with this, isn't it? That actually there must be more to Utterson than yeah. meets the eye. We see this on the very first page. Right. So the, the, the novella begins with the, us being told that although he likes wine, he drinks gin at home. He doesn't drink in public. He, he only drinks gin at home. Um, and that he loves going to a theatre, but that he hasn't been there in many, many years. Mm-hmm. So right. we, we're introduced to a man who has impulses. He has a desire for pleasure, yeah. but who fundamentally doesn't follow those. He, he represses doesn't indulge them, them. Suppresses them. And he, he represses them to quite an extreme level as well. You know, doesn't even allow himself a trip to the theatre. Now, if we could jump into the theory of Freud for a moment here, I think this might be a good moment too. We've talked about Freud's... Um, model of the mind before that was actually written after Jekyll and Hyde but was very much in the public consciousness at the time so you can use it for your AO3 but the way we phrase it we say in a Freudian reading of the novel it's possible absolutely in a Freudian reading of the novel it's possible now Freud states that there are these three parts of the mind the super ego the ego and the id the id being your animalistic desires the ego being the conscious part of your mind and the super ego being like the guilt and the pressure of society you feel to behave well so we could say a Freudian reading of Utterson is that actually he has these same desires as Jekyll he has has these more animalistic desires but he bows to the pressure of his super ego yeah and that actually but that necessarily this isn't necessarily out of inherent goodness it's out of a fear of shame right and that's what would make this paragraph fantastic i think is if you could get into the idea that utterson's motivations in the first two thirds of our essay We've explored how, you know what, yes, this guy's trustworthy. We can listen to this guy. He seems to be on the right side of things. He seems to be the one character that we can put our faith in. Then, to make this essay really good, you could then explore how, well, why? Why is he being like this? And actually, we might find that he's not just interested in being a good person. He's interested in his reputation and see the way me. people see him. Yeah, and we see this at how um, how he says he'd rather help than reprove than reprove his friends mm-hmm. and his envy at their misdeeds the yeah. idea that perhaps he he actually would prefer to be more like Jekyll and Hyde driven by his base desires but he just fears the consequences I think a great piece of vocabulary at this point would be the word vicarious very good yeah he's living vicariously so so um, he's living through someone else right this is it he gets what you would call a vicarious pleasure which is when you um when you live your life through someone else, you get you get your pleasure through listening to what other people have been up to. A bit like me with my son. I don't really have a life anymore now, well, my exactly, father. Yeah. I just look at my son and him charging around, and I imagine that that was... You kind of get your... You, you, my pleasure. You get your, get your, your fun through that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, one one last thing is is that obviously he talks about being the last reputable acquaintance of downgoing men, implying again that Jekyll is not perhaps the only one of his friends who has been corrupted. He's always hanging around with these sort of never do wells who and, are on the on the way down. And I think and I think there's also crucial moments in the novel when actually we see him concerned not with the morality of a deed, but with how it would seem in the public eye. After right. the Carew murder, his, his concern is Jekyll's reputation. Yes. In each case, he, we see that perhaps he isn't as rational mm. as we might like to think. He's, he's defined instead by Victorian society's focus on your name. Yes. So I think that's the, that's the shape of the essay, basically, isn't it? You're starting off exploring that yes, he is trustworthy for all these reasons and all these quotations, but then you get into why is he trustworthy? And when you look at why he's trustworthy, you might see that actually there's an argument to be made that his reasons are more cynical and his reasons are more about him and his friend's reputation than out of any real desire 
to do the right thing and to yeah. be the good person. And I think the final point really is that this the, the hypocrisy of Utterson could be said to be the hypocrisy of London as right. a whole. He presents himself to be the perfect Victorian gentleman, and yet he's drawn towards the darker side of life. And how, how is that like London? Because London itself, you know, the late 19th century, in the fin de siècle period, is supposed to be one of the greatest cities in the world. Mm. It's, ri- it, 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 it's this place of extreme wealth and civilization in inverted commas. Yeah. And yet, beneath the surface, there was extreme poverty, there was crime, there was a huge drug problem. Um, and actually, in areas like Soho, lay the dark realities of crime, disease, and prostitution. So our students might want to say something like, in the same way that London had its public face, and then within it, it had the area of Soho, which harboured all this dark, um, sort of disturbing behaviour that was going on, you could say that Utterson likewise put forward this front. Rational and, and right. front, but actually beneath what it. What he wanted to be, but then within him there was something else. Very good. Very much his own kind of hide, I suppose. Like me, perhaps. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for all your emails as well. We will get round to doing the uh, podcast that you are asking for as soon as we can. Best of that luck to those of you who are doing mock exams. Uh, what's the email address again, sir? Email address is englishrevisionpod at gmail.com. Right, we will we'll set up an Instagram as well as soon as we've worked out how to use it. Um, I hope you all have a lovely day and we will see you very soon on GCSE English Revision Pod.